views, information, or opinions expressed during CORE, the podcast series, are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Southern Methodist University and its employees. Welcome to CORE, the podcast. CORE is a board of SMU students who plan and host the Women's Symposium every year. This year, the symposium will be held virtually in the first week of March. Please stay tuned for more information about what we have planned for this year's symposium. Today, we are continuing our series of podcasts to spotlight our Profiles and Leadership Award nominees and recipients. Episodes have been released each week and will continue to be released until the week of the Women's Symposium. These women are recognized for going above and beyond to empower women in their personal and professional lives. In these episodes, we will hear first-person accounts of their stories. On today's episode, I will be interviewing one of our awardees. My name is Vanessa Lars, and I'm a senior at Southern Methodist University, double majoring in corporate communication and Spanish with minors in history, human rights, and Latin American studies. It is my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Jessica Walker, who is the Director of Community Wellness Solutions for the Community Council of Greater Dallas. Jessica, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me here. I'm very, very happy and excited to be a part of this. And we're very glad and excited to have you as well. Um, So can you, to start off our first uh, question, can you share with uh, our listeners more about your work with the Community Council of Greater Dallas? Um, What does the organization strive to do and how does your role as the director of Community Wellness Solutions contribute to that? Okay, I'd be happy to. Community Council uh, has been around for more than 80 years. Uh, We are a major nonprofit agency and we provide leadership in moving individuals and families forward. I guess you can say surviving to thriving which is a part of our agency mission statement. Our agency improves the quality of life of individuals by alleviating poverty, fostering independence and wellness, and connecting people to the resources they need. We have um, program services, um, our 211, which is a resource information and referral resource uh, for mm-hmm. individuals to call when they're needing things like food, shelter, assistance with their utilities. We also have CSBG, which is a part of our um, poverty alleviation program. And we serve individuals who are 125% below poverty. And and we provide Dallas Area Agency on Aging, which is a part of the program that I serve in. In particular, we do care coordination, caregiver support, benefits counseling, and then the evidence-based program. And I can certainly talk about those a little bit later, as well as we provide transportation options and then research engagement, which is something I too will talk about a little later. (laughs) Oh, wow. So y'all are like the one-stop shop. Um, One thing, you know, when I was doing my research on the council, and and you mentioned this right now, um, that the mission is to uh, provide leadership to move individuals and families from surviving to thriving. And I, not only does that like sound good, like it's a play on words, but um, because the council does so much, um, it, it really does help 
uh, families and, and individuals who are who are struggling because and I'm sure you're an expert on this but you know if 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 you tend to, if you're a family who tends to have issues with um, food access you probably have issues you know regarding health disparities um, and so I think it's so important that we highlight these issues and and that's why you know you said the council's been around for 80 years it's important to have um organizations who are well invested in the community um to address those issues um so can you tell me a bit about the research that the council does um and what that entails Certainly, I would love to, but let me just go back to something you just said in terms of um, uh, health disparities and all. It's so important to know that uh, if a community likes food or there are food insecurities in a neighborhood, you're going to see that people are going to suffer with diabetes, more mm -hmm. chronic health conditions are going to happen. And so that's one of the things that we really strive to do, try to identify some of those issues so we can address those later on. So research is something that we can do to determine what some of the problems are, but we took it another level by getting involved in a research program called the All of Us Research Program, which really addresses something that is globally an issue. People do not, people of color especially, do not participate in research initiative. So the All of Us Research Program is a historic effort to collect and study data from 1 million or more people within the United States. Oh, the goal wow. of the program is better health for all. And that's going back to the health disparities, trying to decrease some of those issues that we face. It is a national initiative. And it, although it started enrollment in 2018, it has a goal to uh, last for about 10 years. And one of the things, too, I will mention, too, is that they utilize precision medicine, and that's knowing that everybody is different. Every person, nobody wears the same glass prescription. Nobody wears the same, uses the same hearing aids. So using that technique has been so unique. And the council is interesting that we got involved, not because we are medical experts, but because we have an expertise in pulling individuals together from all agencies. We know our partners, we know people in the community. Mm -hmm. So we pull them together in order to help us. We go to the medical health professionals. We go to uh, hospitals and, and clinics and try to pull their particular, not only clientele, but their experts at those agencies. So we can uh, look at research from a larger scale and really address the problems. Yeah, I think I think that's so important to have organizations like the council to serve as that connecting body, um, especially, you know, mentioning how communities of color often face these disparities. Like I've, you know, I, in some of my classes, I've done research on like why that is. And, and because, you know, there's so much historical context that I think validates a lot of that um skepticism or worries um or you know past historical traumas and so it's more than just you know presenting the research but having uh leaders like you that um these communities trust and that can connect 
to to the to the other you know the hospitals and the clients and whatnot um and I think more so in this pandemic like we see it even more I think if if you didn't see health disparities before you you know you see them now like on the news Mm -hmm. um and so I wanted to know what what's your take on that like how has your work changed? Um, if anything, has it uh, been more challenging to to address these needs from the lens of the pandemic? It it has it has been challenging, but because we are so focused on really getting the word out and really continuing with things, because we know that when this is over a year from now, we we should have made a difference, or we are hoping that we would have made a difference. Our role in the research program is providing outreach, um, education, and engagement of individuals. So you can't really engage them or or really educate them uh, if we're not one-on-one with them. We've had to change our whole scheme of things and create virtual environments to be able to educate them and provide that information and engage them in projects. So what we've done is that we've connected with community resources and we place flyers into food bo- food giveaway boxes. Oh. We've done Facebook live events. We've done um, some Zoom meetings. We've tried to modify to be able to do our outreach to still continue our efforts because the program has a 10 year span and we want to continue making sure that we are getting the word out. But not only for that program, but also for our chronic disease self-management programs, the classes that we give for our evidence-based program, we are um, creating virtual environments for all of those classes and things to continue as well. Yeah, that's great. I think a lot, you know, we've all been adjusting to the Zoom environment. Um and I'm, I'm glad that families and individuals are able to still connect and get the help that they need. Um, I think the food box idea is a great one you mentioned. I didn't think about, I wouldn't have thought about that. Um, so, um, and going back to, you know, your uh, work is something very important. I think that we all kind of need to think about and, and, contribute to it in some way or another what do you think that community leaders not necessarily in public health or not necessarily in um education what what can people in their own communities uh what role like do we have as college students right um have to fixing these inequities or addressing them one of the things that's pretty important and what we've also done is we work with Texas Southern University and I would love to work with SMU more. Um, <laughs> we work with one of your staff members quite a bit, um, Jennifer Jones. And I um, oh, love her. Very, 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 very helpful. But we've worked with the UMTD. We work with the University of Texas in Arlington, quite a few of them. And yeah try to train them in our curricula to give them um, firsthand experience of how some of our evidence-based programs work. 
So when you train them, we know that their priority is going to be to find a job. And many times if they're in the health profession, when they find the job later on, they still have that knowledge base of what our programs are. So they take that on and give that information to their particular clientele that they serve or their particular community, wherever they're involved in. So I think that it's very important utilizing students to help be those um, extenders for us to provide information mm -hmm. about their particular careers past college years. So that's been helpful for us. And we would like to continue that because we think we do some pretty valuable things out here. And we, one of the things I, I wanted to say to Vanessa about our program is that yeah. in Dallas, through the community council, we don't just provide just programs that are, um, uh, local programs. We provide national model programs. Stanford University has been our model for all of our chronic disease and diabetes and chronic pain self-management program. We have a state-of-the-art falls prevention program. We have a state-of-the-art diabetes prevention program for those who are not diabetic. So I have um, utilized uh, wonderful staff to uh, think beyond the box. Let's not just become certified in the curricula. Let's become, uh, um, I guess, role models. Let's, let's role do models. extra work. Let's do something that's different. So we got our, our diabetes program accredited by the American Association of Diabetes Educators. We were one of one of five programs throughout the country who first got that certification. We also recognized our DPP program, our diabetes prevention program is recognized by CDC as a state of the art program. And we are used as a catalyst to be able to encourage other programs throughout the country. We have received grants on a national level uh, from um, um, the ACL, which is the uh, Administration on Community Living. And that's where all of the older Americans programs come from. The money mm -hmm. on those programs throughout the country, that's where they are coming from. Uh, we have gotten monies from NIH, of course. We've got monies from CDC as well as CMS, which is the Center for Manage, um, Management Care. And CDC is the Center for Disease Control. I always forget sometimes when I'm stating the acronyms that we need to go ahead and <laughs> we got one or two wrong, but it's close. <laughs> I, I was like, I think that's, you know, that uh, stands for this one. So <laughs> um, you mentioned the NIH research program. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that one? That's the one that's the all of us research program that I mentioned a little bit earlier. And okay. that's the one that um, is the, uh, that utilized precision medicine. And it's the one that's the, uh, that was started in 2015 by the Barack Obama administration. And it's to pull people into research program. And that's where we use community partners through the medical profession to help us to um, be impactful as far as that program. And we have, we do know that people are reluctant to participate, especially people of color, to participate in research. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we've done is that we've extended efforts through uh, communities such as uh, the Potter's House. We've been very, very oh, active okay. there. We have programs at Friendship West. Um, we're going to be doing something 
uh, Concord. We're going to oh, uh, doing a series of Facebook Live events in upcoming months, and we're going to be working as well with other organizations in order to continue our efforts to enroll individuals in that program. We uh, think that there are probably well over 300,000 that are enrolled in the program to date. So that's oh, wow. That's amazing. Million, but at least we are at 300,000, even in spite of the pandemic that's been going on. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I just want to shift a little bit to you. Um, you know, you're telling me about all this amazing work that you're doing, but it wouldn't be what it is without you. Um, mm -hmm. So can you tell me um, what, what do you enjoy most about this work? What drives you? And if you want to talk about what challenges you. Okay. Well, let me start with the challenges first and <laughs> overcome. I was raised in a small town uh, community in Arkansas years and years ago. I won't say how many, but years ago. <laughs> um, the first in the family to go to an integrated public schools. Um, but chose to go to a large majority university. Uh, always having big dreams to move to a big city as a single parent raising a son. I think I dared to dream, and that's part, part of <laughs> that uh, is my particular challenge. I dared to dream and made things happen because I believed I could be successful if I would work hard to overcome my fears. Uh, always stayed with the course and didn't run when things got tough. I also raised my son to be the same way. He uh, will be coming to, with me to the award ceremony and I'm very proud. Oh, that's amazing. His education and became a doctor in pharmacy. <gasps> oh wow. Was recognized by his company, Nova Nordis, um, within the last few weeks. And as I was announcing this, he told me that he too got one of the <laughs> throughout the country to receive uh, the Circle of Excellence Award. And this is the first time, uh, the second time he's received it in three years, which is the oh, second person to ever receive it twice. So I'm pretty proud of him. But I told him, uh, although I'm saying this story, this is not about him. This is about me. No, so it's you. But I think I'm most passionate about I guess developing programs and finding solutions and promoting those programs to funders and bringing in dollars to support those programs. So if I had to say anything that was great about me, I've been with the agency. I retired from the city of Dallas after 23 years there. So I did a lot of stuff there, a lot mm -hmm. of stuff. But when I came to the community council, I started in a, in a, in a small, on a small level and I decided to really advance my thinking and look at uh, moving towards 2020 initiatives that were listed in the um, Older Americans Act or programs that were talking about programs for seniors at that time. And I thought, well, I'll be a senior at that time. So I really want to create programs. So, um, I really uh, looked at the fact that I wanted to do things that were outside of the box and really create some things uh, just to be able to help a whole a, a, a large population of individuals, not only older adults, but um, just people in general. So I think that I have um, enjoyed bringing dollars and creating new ideas in order to implement those programs throughout Dallas community. 
And I was starting to say something in terms of uh, at the council, and I think I may have lost my thought, but <laughs> it has it has been it has been a great pleasure to work with the council that has um, that gives you an opportunity to do things on a different level. Oh, I know what I, I was agree. Going to say. I was, I was going to say that in the eight years, nine, 10, 11, 12 years that I've been with the council, almost 12 years, I have been successful in probably bringing in probably over $8 million, which has been very, oh very good for um, all of the programs that we're providing. And that's because I, I think I've had that passion and that, that ability to be able to see the bigger picture and not give up when I... Uh, saw something that was going to be challenging for me to obtain. I didn't see it as in 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 being defeated. I wasn't going to be defeated in getting it. That is so inspiring uh, to hear you constantly thinking outside the box. Mm -hmm. um, and in our final 10 minutes that we are reaching, um, I'd like to give my fellow core members the opportunity to ask you any of their burning questions. Um, yeah, I, I can go. Um, thank you so much for one meeting with us. And I really, um, not to be Gen Z about it, but I really vibed with your last statement <laughs> of um, just like finding your passion, finding your voice. And since part of our demographic for the podcast is college age women, how would you advise someone who has a passion for research and um, really building connections from like the black community with like medicine, like bridging that gap, how would you advise them to go about that? Well, you know, um, I had um, a little bit, I was gonna say that um, being a woman of color has been always challenging, um, but it hasn't been something that's been, um, I would say a thorn that makes you feel like you can't achieve because you can achieve. Um, I think now um, we all face many challenges, women in general, people in general. And um, I think that if I were to say that we have our first African-American vice president, and I just have to say that not only is she female, she's also a woman of color. And I don't say African-American, I'm gonna say woman of color because she has many, many different things. I think that I can say that you as a college student can see and reach any goal that you aspire to. Um, I feel in the medical field, it is totally open. Uh, if uh, this is again not about my son's story it's about me but just in terms of instilling in him I have to say that it wasn't always easy for him when he got started but he was so focused that when he got into pharmacy school he didn't deviate he went all the way through all of those years and then uh, took his exam and excelled there and um, I know that it's possible if you were to hear his story, you know that you can do it because he did it. And there are so many others who have those same things. So I have um, three, well, four grandkids and three beautiful granddaughters. And I tell them all the time that they can do anything that they want to do if they just have that desire to do it. 
I think that we have to have that desire, but I think the opportunities are out there. The, the different universities that offer different subject areas, uh, the fact that uh, there are grant opportunities as well as scholarship opportunities. And you don't have to always think in terms of being the head of your class you wanna be, but if you're not the head of the class, it doesn't matter. I think we still can achieve in spite of that. So I just encourage all young women to do the very best that they can and don't give up. I think that's the biggest message that I can give. Don't give up, just keep on forging ahead. If you have to modify something slightly for a time, don't give up on that, go back to it later on. Wow, that, that's extremely helpful, um, especially con considering that like I was, well, formerly a gifted kid, talented and gifted um, mm -hmm. growing up. Um, and that's sort of the mindset of like having perfectionism that like, if you don't get it right the first time, like it's <laughs> over with. Um, but it's good to keep that perspective in mind that like, it's just maybe a pothole in the road. It's not a delay <laughs> in getting to your destination. Right. right. There's always the other side. Yeah. If we have time, I have a question I would like to ask. I think we still have some. Okay, so um, thank you. First off, thank you for being here today. It's been great getting a chance to listen to you and hear about your work. Um, earlier on in the talk, you talked about how like during this pandemic, um, you and your team have been finding ways to adapt to the current climate environment. And personally, I don't know if anyone else felt this way, but last March, I felt like a lot of things stopped. Um, like a lot of things came to a standstill and some people kind of picked things back up. Obviously we still worked and we pushed forward but I really liked hearing about what your team had done to try to continue to reach out to those families to help them go from surviving to thriving, especially in this time, which I think it's even more important. So you also spoke about, you wanna have, you wanna have accomplishments by the time this time ends, which we hope is sooner rather than later. But I'd be curious to know like what, if you choose one thing, what do you really hope that you have accomplished by the end of this pandemic? Like when we start to move on and things are a little more similar to how they were before last March. That's an excellent question. And I think that one of the things before this happened that we wanted to do is, since we focus on the population 60 and older and those with chronic health conditions who can't get out, we have always wanted our curricular developers to look at ways that we can reach the population of people who can't go to a congregate meal site, who can't go to mm -hmm. um, uh, any uh, rec center or the Y, how can we reach those individuals? And they were really not as geared towards modifying because they thought that face-to-face -face was the best thing to do. So because of the pandemic, it forced them, it forced them to think of ways, creative ways of how we can reach the population who don't uh, typically get out and who can't get out because of the pandemic. So creating the virtual uh, curriculums uh, allowing uh, for us to deliver them in a manner that we can, uh, modifying them slightly to make them uh, give us an opportunity to give them in a limited period of time, but getting the same results has been probably the most uh, successful part of what has happened, making, I guess, um, lemons out of lemonade out of lemon, you know, that you can say. 
Um, it's not all easy because a lot of adults don't have access to computers and some of them are not tech savvy. <laughs> we have gotten to quite a few to learn technology and they're using their iPhones to be uh, something that can be a resource to them rather than a thorn. So I, I appreciate that question, but I think that the fact that we've moved to virtual formats, just like we are here today, that mm -hmm. has really, really a great thing. I don't think I've been on the Zoom before this pandemic occurred. Neither have I. <laughs> but no, that's great. Like there are, even with, within all of this, there are positives to it is being able to connect to more, don't actually like travel to a physical location. You're able to connect with people like this, um, especially those who, like you said, are, have difficulty being able to travel to actually meet in person, even before the pandemic. So I think it's great that you're able to adapt to that, but you're meeting a need of people who personally, like I think were kind of looked over beforehand, even before everything. So that's amazing. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you. All right, thank you for those questions. Um, and so one final question that we'll end this podcast on, um, a question that we've been asking some of our other uh, awardees um, is, where do you see women in leadership in the next 10 years? Okay, I sort of alluded to that uh, before, and uh, I'm going to just push in on that again and just say that I think that women have a lot to offer and in the next 10 years, I think that the fact that we have that desire and we're developing those skills to be able to compete with the opposite sex, that we're going to utilize those skills and we're going to forge ahead and we're going to be in key roles. You're going to see more women who are going to aspire to be uh, president, even as high as that. Uh, certainly, you're seeing CEOs of companies and all. You're going to see uh, women who are cabinet members uh, politically. You're going to see women who, more women pilots, I believe. Um, we're going to see more surgeons, uh, people who are, um, are um, extending in the medical profession and becoming not only just because uh, they are, we are, we are there. We 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 reach out to more areas than we have in recent years. But I think that that, that is going to be a desire for um, society, our total society to look at women as a key component and not necessarily just a part of it, but a key component to whatever, whatever is out there for us to achieve. And I like to always say, because I was saying about my three granddaughters and how I think that I, I see them and their role um, is that I, I don't think it's a bad idea for them to aspire if they choose to, to be a wife and mother as well. And they can do all of that together. It doesn't have to be one without the other. But I think that it's important to say that it's okay if that's what they aspire to be. Yes, I love that. Um, we need women at, at every table to fill mm -hmm. up many seats. So, um, you know, finally, thank you so much, Jessica, for your time. It was a pleasure having you um, to learn about your work, to honor your work in this podcast. Um, and I know our listeners uh, will enjoy it as much as we did. 
Okay, and thank you all for inviting me and thank you all for this tremendous honor as well.